Uh, Lord, we thank you for all you're doing among us. And just pray as I speak from the Bible now that um, you would, I just pray that you would take what I say and you would make it mean uh, more than anything, more than any words from my mouth could ever mean. I pray, Lord, that you, by your spirit, would just uh, apply what's said and bring, bring life, Lord. I pray bring life, bring hope, uh, bring, bring fresh faith. Just open the eyes of our hearts, we pray. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you're new here, my name's Steph, and I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, we're just uh, we're just kind of starting a series on faith for a few weeks, and talk about faith, and really dig into that and explore um, the wonderful subject of faith. Um, two weeks ago, I introduced a subject. Remember, I spoke about um, kind of the opposites of faith, just to, sometimes to understand what something isn't helps us understand what something is. And I use an illustration of like a, a family with four children, and three of those children were the opposites of faith, and one was faith. And um, so I said the first, the first opposite is the Bible calls unbelief, and it's like a stubborn resistance to believe. And um, that's like the child that's kind of uh, rebellious and, and actively resists, you know, trusting in their parents' unbelief. Second one is doubt, which is much more subtle. Um, it's not like a willful resistance, but it's just the the the. Um, it's more like being in two minds the whole time. I'll trust, or no, maybe not. And it's kind of having your having your feet in two camps, but it's wavering constantly. That's what it's like to doubt, and that's like a child that's indecisive, timid, constantly going this way and that. And then the third one is what I call believism which is really like a child who knows they ought to trust, so kind of makes all the right noises, but in their heart doesn't trust their parents deeply. So they kind of say the right things, and it, it kind of appears like good, but when push comes to shove, there's no real trust. And uh, that is much more subtle. It, it, you know, unbelief is obviously not faith. Believism can look like faith, but when push comes to shove, it doesn't go the whole way because there's no real trust. And then there's faith, which is a deep trust in God. So I talked about that just to help us give a framework for faith. I want to say a few more things about um, faith over, over, over this afternoon's uh, message. Um, just to, again, just try and help us get a really clear understanding of it, really trying to bring it into focus so that when I use the word, you know what I'm talking about and um, that we're all, all using the word in the same way. Um, I would say my observation is in our society that the word faith is used in a very general way. So I don't know if you've heard phrases like, you know, uh, um, I'm a person of faith. Are you a person of faith too? Um, that's quite a common kind of a, a phrase to use someone who is or is not a person of faith. Now, when that phrase is being used, it's being used in a very, very general way. It's not really being concerned with who or what you believe in. It's more concerned with the fact that you in yourself have a belief in something. Does that make sense? And that's very, very common, a very common way to describe um, faith. It's not really, in our society, in our culture, not massively concerned about the object of your faith, um, generally speaking, in, in, in our part of the world. It could be the God of the Bible. Um, it could be Allah. It could just be, as uh, if any of you here have been involved in any recovery groups, particularly the AA and other groups that have come out of that, it could just be a higher power, um, which is deliberately undefined. You know, you, you are free to, to choose your own. I was listening to a fascinating program on the radio recently about the founding of the Alcoholics Anonymous, incredibly fascinating program. Um, but there was a woman there, that they, would, they got onto the higher power thing and they were talking about it and referring to the fact that as far as many people on, on that are in the 12 Steps program are concerned, it's a huge part of it, but that it is deliberately undefined. And one woman was saying, my, my higher power is, uh, is my deceased granddad. 
So for her, she had chosen, you get to choose. So she chose that it was her deceased granddad. I think there are others that have, that have had pets. Um, you know, it, you can really, it's very important. And that for, for many, many people in our culture and society and the way we think, people aren't particularly fussed about what or who you believe in, but as long as you've got some kind of faith, um, some kind of belief. Um, but biblically, faith is concerned more than anything else about who you believe in. So we have something of a clash in terms of an understanding of faith. In the, in the Bible, when it refers to faith, it, is make, it makes a really, really big deal about being really clear on not, not having vague lines, but defining clearly who it is we trust in, um, whether it is the God who has revealed himself in the Bible in a final way through Jesus Christ. That is central. And it's really important that we grapple with that because whether you're here as someone who would say you're a Christian, then you're constantly surrounded by an atmosphere of where it's seen as not a big deal. So you probably would be familiar with people saying things like, it's really great for you, you believe in that, but I believe in this, let's just leave it. And it's just like, look, we can just get on and we're people of faith. If you're here as someone and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian either because you're agnostic or you're atheistic or you just, you're just thinking there's so much stuff out there, I think it's really important, really what, what urge you to listen today, just so that you can begin to grapple with what biblical faith really looks like. What is it? How does it um, work? Because I would ask this question, what if at the bottom of insufficient power in life is an insufficient object of faith? You see, because the reality is, is that who or what your faith is in dictates hugely how you live, how you approach situations and circumstances in life, how you understand life, how you understand yourself, your place in the world. I mean, it really does knock on to everything. Even if your object of faith really has nothing to say about that, then you'll have nothing to say about that. Or if your object of faith has very strong things to say about that, then you will agree with those things. So it's really important that we're not, how can I describe it? Without, I don't want to come across in an overly harsh way at all, but it's really important that we understand that actually who or what we believe in affects everything about our lives. Therefore, if we really want to grapple with what is it, what, you know, living a fruitful life, um, coming into our purpose for existence, we've really got to face the issue of who or what. Um, we believe in. You see, biblically, faith is the only reasonable response to a God who is faithful. That's the point. The whole dynamic of biblical faith is that someone has revealed himself to be utterly trustworthy. Utterly trustworthy. Without flaw. Um, not, not just in a kind of, oh, isn't he nice kind of way, but in the sense that he's governing everything and somehow mysteriously bringing everything together in his overall overarching purpose and has the power to do all those things. We'll, we'll look at that later, but that in the sense that he, he himself is utterly dependable. You can rest your entire weight on him and what he says, and the Bible says you will never be put to shame. That's, an inc that's a massive claim. It's a massive claim. And what we don't want to do is go into category three of believism and go, yay, but not really let it get deep into us because we will face things in life that massively challenge that claim. And so we've got to let the, the, our faith be something that is very, very deep and gets to our whole being if we're going to really win uh, through here. So my, 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 I don't want, it's not my claim. God's claim from the Bible is that he is 100% a pair of safe hands. 
You can trust your past, present and future to him. You can trust your uh, hopes and fears to him. You can trust your deepest desires and longings to him. You can trust uh, your mind, your heart, your questions to him. Uh, and as you do so in a way that is appropriate and fitting, i.e. you don't come in a way that demands he does everything your way, but you come in a way that is really honest and really truthful and yet saying, but, I, but you are God, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come in a, in, a, in a manner where I'm not pretending that we're equals here. I want to submit to you that he will find a way of bringing redemption and restoration to every part of your life. That's the claim. And that it will be eternal. That he will grant you eternal life. Well, we're going to... It's cool, isn't it? Uh, we're going to look at that. And uh, I want you to be sitting here thinking, hold on a minute, what about this, what about that? It's important that we don't just kind of operate on a superficial level where we say yes and amen during sermons, but we're not shaped by it at all when we leave this room. It's so important that we um, grapple with this. I want to also just bring a challenge as to the point of faith. What is the ultimate point of faith? You see, I would say this, that um, having faith um, in God isn't primarily about getting your life fixed up. It's not primarily about that. It's not primarily about getting free from an addiction. It's not primarily about finding kind of happiness and peace. All of these things are fruit of knowing the Lord. I believe that. But actually, the Bible says the the predominant thing, the big deal, is having your sins forgiven, which opens up the way for you to be reconciled to your Father in heaven. Very simple, but utterly life-changing. The Bible says that the, the root of our problems is that we are alienated from God through our sin. And so God, through Jesus, deals with our sin so we can be forgiven and reconciled to him. And when you are back in right relationship with God, the center, that which should be the center, him, becomes the center. And then as he, as he restores order where there's been chaos, over time our life becomes ordered in a way that glorifies him and brings massively good fruit out of our lives. But it's important that we don't put the cart before the horse and chase it after, oh yeah, because I really need this, or I really want God to fix that. First and foremost, it's about being reconciled to your maker. It's about him being glorified by having his image in you restored and cleaning you up from all the, all the dark stuff. It's wonderful. It's really, really uh, wonderful. And then once you realize, therefore, that uh, it's about being forgiven and reconciled to God and that it all hangs on his faithfulness, and then we begin to realize that every issue of life, whether it's an issue of healing, you might be grappling with the, with the issue of healing, will God heal, does God heal, or provision, um, it depends on these things do in many ways depend on the degree to which we will trust him. We need to be clear on what he teaches about these things, that our faith is absolutely essential to see in the works of God. It is. Now you can be in a kind of church which says everything's about faith and it can drive you potty because it's like everything's about faith. You know I mean, you woke up with a runny nose and it's well, you didn't believe enough while you were sleeping and you think, this is doing my head in. Do you know, I can't live like this. It's too much pressure. You know the kind of church where any, you, you, don't, you never mention anything that's gone wrong because there's a sort of, it's like you're under scrutiny all of a sudden. You know, it's the kind of churches that teach that Job suffered as he did because of his lack of faith. I mean, this is, you get this. You get this and it's not healthy. It's not healthy. It makes everything about faith. But what you can do then is throw out the baby with the bathwater and you can create a scenario where no one talks about faith. But you must talk about faith. 
Because Jesus, Jesus only marveled at two things. He marveled at faith and he marveled at unbelief. You want to surprise Jesus? They're the, two, they're the two ways you can really make Jesus go, wow. When you actually really believe him, he loves it. Or will you really go, nah. He's like, what? Faith is a big deal and it's important that we, uh, that we face it. But that we face it well. So, um, what I want to do, I want to just lay a foundation. We're, over the next couple of weeks, we're going to talk about faith and finances, or faith and provision, that kind of thing. Um, now, why are we going to do that? I want to just get that clear, because you might, again, we've not spoken about, spoken about money much for eight years. We've been in the church eight years, and we've sort of dodged the issue a bit, and we apologized for that a few weeks ago, because we realized that we were being a bit cowardly. Um, the reason why we've dodged it is because... Um, I'm very aware that some of you who are part of us here at Revelation have been in churches that haven't done well with money, i.e. there's been corruption or, you know, just uh, misuse of finances and, you know, you think, ah, others of you who are part of the church here have been in churches which they, you know, spoken money every week, you know, and you're like, I can't be doing with that anymore. Um, others of you, you probably just, you just, I don't know, you, maybe you, you're just, you've got into you somehow that churches are all about money and wanting your money. And so, you know, so we've just been so aware of that, sensitive, that we just thought, oh, do you know what, just keep quiet. But when you keep quiet, you end up saying something. When you stay silent on anything, you end up through your silence saying something. So that doesn't really work. So what we decided is let's just do it, but do it really well. Is that all right? Yeah? We just sail really close to the texts and make sure that we're, you know, that we're doing it right and, um, and trusting that, that God will give us mercy um, as we do it. See, Jesus spoke about money a lot. Um, so we've got a good model for doing so. Um, our culture tends to worship money and material things. And so if we're saying we worship Jesus, then it's important that we are familiar with potential other gods, if you like, that are around us. And money and materialism is definitely one of those things. Um, money, Jesus says, reflects where your heart is, what you do with your treasure. Where you invest it is a reflection of where your heart is, and also where you invest it uh, determines where your heart is. Interestingly, it works in both directions. Um, and also, um, um, this part of London is very expensive to live in, if any of you noticed that. Uh, so it's important that we, as a church, grapple with the issue of money and come to a place where we really are in, in faith for God to provide for us, not so that we can then sit back and enjoy selfish gain, but that so we can fully uh, be fully resourced to be equipped to live out God's purpose for us in this part of London. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it, it, it's all for the kingdom, yeah? And then uh, uh, finally, kingdom work costs money. So, praise God, food bank, fed 3,000 people, brilliant, takes significant amount of resources to make that happen. Same for the CAP Centre, same for everything that we do. So, we just, we've got to talk about it. So, you guys, what I'm going to ask for is, is that you kind of give us the benefit of the doubt before we start. Is that all right? Great. Those of you who stayed silent, that's, 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 that, that hurt. That cut me deep. Okay. What we'll do, so... Rich is going to speak next week. Rich is going to do just a great job looking at some really, really specific texts on, 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 on giving in the Bible. Um, we've, we've had a brilliant conversation about some of the stuff he's going to be looking at. It's going to be a brilliant, brilliant message. I, I know it is. What I want to do today is I just want to lay a really, really solid foundation about the character of God and look at how that impacts our understanding of him and him providing for us. Is that okay? 
So I want you to look at four things. The first thing I want to look about is, is the plenty of God. So um, I've just got a few images. They're not really over exciting, but they're just hopefully, I know some of you say, oh, picture learner or whatever it is. Oh, visual learner. You know that thing. And uh, bless you. And uh, uh, what it is, it's just trying to, I'm trying to sort of relate to you. There you go. All right. Okay. For the rest of us, I'm going to preach now uh, while these guys look at the fruit. Um, <clears throat> I'm just kidding. I know. I know. God's made us all different. Praise the Lord. Right. Um, so, uh, I'm feeling the controversy. Right. The Bible teaches that um, God's got plenty. God has got plenty. Listen to this. This is an amazing moment in, in, the, in the history of Israel where they, Solomon's temple is built and they make this huge offering in order to make it happen. And, and I love this prayer. It's, it's a prayer right towards the end of David's life. And just listen to these words. It says, David blessed, this is 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10. I'm going to be jumping around the scriptures a bit today. You can write down the reference and then check it out later. Uh, 1 Chronicles 29 verse 10, or you can follow it if you like, of course. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, listen to this prayer. Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. All that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. And they've just done this huge offering, and he says this in verse 14. Who am I, and what is my people, that we should be able thus to offer willingly, for all things come from you, and of your own have we given you. All things come from you, and of your own have we given you. One extraordinary thing. So basically, David is saying, we've offered this amazing abundant offering, but you know what? It's all yours anyway. It's a bit like when, you, when your kids are young and it's your birthday coming up and they want to buy you something, so you give them the money and then they go out and buy you something and they give you this thing like they've done some great thing, you know. There you go, Dad. And it's like, well, great, you know. Your heart is touched not because, oh, didn't you do an amazing thing in terms of resource-wise? I gave you the money. My heart is touched because there's something in them that's wanted to bring something. It's the love, isn't it? It's the, it's the devotion. And so this is exactly what David is saying. All this stuff we've given, gold and silver and all these burnt offerings, it's all yours anyway. It's all his. Someone once said the most tragic moment in any child's life is when they learn the word mine. Because it ain't. It's not yours. I remember having loads of family kids with this that say, it's my balloon. So it's not your balloon. It's Jesus's. We teach him this. We'll be light-hearted, but we'll say, "Ain't you? It's Jesus's." It's one of the biggest problems. We think we think we think it's ours. Everything is entrusted to us to steward well. It's not ours. It's not ours. It's an entrustment. Everything I have is an entrustment that I will be held accountable for by a grace by my gracious loving Father. What have you done with what you've been given? Talents, everything from talents and gifts and skills, right through to possessions, my home, um, you know, my generous with what we've got. You know, I was just uh, teaching one of my children just, just today. An important part of doing well with something that is given to you is that you're generous with it. Because it, it, that, that's the important part of stewardship. That's what God expects when he, when he lends or, or gives us things. Do you know that God has got plenty? He has everything. This is an extraordinary truth, which we would do well to reflect on. It says, it says in Psalm 24, verse 1, it's very simply put, but it's a huge statement in a very small sentence. 
Psalm 24 verse 1. Um, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Wow. He, he, and then the Lord goes into more detail in Psalm 50. This is so uh, vivid in the way he puts this. Psalm 50 verses 10 to 12. Every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. All that moves in the field is mine. If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and its fullness are mine. And the world is a very abundant place. Isn't it an extraordinary place? Even if you're in the room today and you, you know, you're thinking, what am I doing here? I've got dragged here, you're an atheist. You will agree with me, the world is an abundant place. We just disagree on the source. But we all agree, the world is an abundant place. The Bible says it's all his. And he's generous. You can tell, how do you know he's generous? Well, because the Bible says that the creation reflects him and his heart. And everything he's made gives. Have you noticed that? Everything that he has made gives. Did you know that the sun, every hour, the sun produces enough energy to meet the needs of every human being down the ages since the start of human civilization? Every hour. In terms of energy needs. Every single hour. It's extraordinary. Every second, or so, every second the sun gives off enough energy to, to, to burn a bridge made of ice that is um, two miles thick and one mile wide stretching from earth to the sun. Every second. <laughs> It's just, I mean, the sort of things you just don't know what to do with, the sort of facts. <laughs> How many seeds do you reckon there are in an average sunflower? About a thousand. That's generous, isn't it? You can get a lot of sunflowers out of one. Everything in God's creation gives. It's built into the fiber of things to give in a multiplied way. How much more those who are made in his image? How fallen it is, therefore, when those who were made in his image hoard. He's so twisted. What happened? We're supposed to be the ones who reflect his nature, his goodness, his generosity in in a way that is um, more than anything else in creation. And yet we tend to be the ones who have distorted that and hold it in. He is a God of plenty. What is it? It means that as you seek to do his will and his purpose, there is nothing that's outside of your reach. God will supply whatever you need to do what he has called you to do. I'll say that again. God will supply whatever you need in order for you to do what he has called you to do. He will. I mean, you know, I mean, it, it just goes from what the Bible is a sublime book. The things, it, the statements it comes out with. Listen to this in 1 Corinthians 3, verses 21 to 23. Let no one boast in people for all things. All things are yours. Whether the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. You've been wrapped up in Jesus and, and Jesus has been promised by the Father that nations is, in, is an eternal inheritance. And Jesus has wrapped his people up with him to co-reign to co with him. Everything's ours. That we might steward for his purpose in our lives. So plenty. Now this combats that way of thinking which is overwhelmed by a sense of lack. Do any of you have this? Well, you live in your mind overwhelmed by a sense of lack. This truth will combat that. 
So what does faith look like? Faith looks like bringing the reality of what God says about himself and all that is his, and therefore as one of his children, all that is yours, to use for his glory and for the good of others. And you pull that into the reality of your own life. And you drive out that sense of there's not enough, there is enough. There is enough. You must say, but you don't understand the circumstances. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not preaching unreality here. The Bible says about Abraham, God promised him a child. It says that he looked at his own body as good as dead. He was a very old man. And his wife, who was only about 10 years younger than him, she was about 90. Looked, and he looked and he considered, it's not looking good. He was real. But then he says he didn't waver in unbelief as a result. But he grew strong in faith giving glory to God, being convinced that he who promised was able. Faith says, hold on a minute. Yes, but you. So it's very active, dynamic. You pull into your reality, this reality. There is enough. Second P. Excuse me. (coughs) Permission. Listen to this extraordinary scripture. It says, it says in Daniel chapter 4. Now you've got to realize who said it. This is being spoken in Daniel chapter 4 by the most powerful man on the planet, King Nebuchadnezzar. Through his pride, God judged him with a kind of a craziness. Yeah, craziness for seven years, I think it was. And then God restored him. And he says this. He says, uh, at the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honoured him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Now what does it mean when it says no one can say to him, what have you done? It doesn't mean that literally no one can say it. Plenty of people do. Plenty of people say, what have you done? It means this, no one can effectively hold him to account. He has absolute freedom. Permission granted, he hasn't gone to anyone to get that. He's not just thinking about this thing run, run by some sort of heavenly committee. No. He is God. Now, we need to really work this one through because actually oftentimes when we think of someone with absolute authority, it strikes fear into our hearts. What are they going to do with that? And so we, we stay away from it, and understandably, we, things like democracy, it's a safe thing, you know, and I understand all of that, but there is one who is completely set apart from every other that you cannot compare to earthly authorities who has absolute sovereign freedom to do whatever he likes. There are no conditions he needs to meet or people who need to run by, things by or through. He is in charge absolutely. He's not accountable to anyone. He is not accountable to anyone. You cannot hold him to account. He won't answer you. Job tried. And God's answer was, where were you when I created the earth? And Job said, oh yeah, yeah. (laughs) Behold, I'm insignificant. That's what he said. Behold, I'm insignificant. I spoke of things I didn't know. If you're going to serve the Lord, then serve the Lord. Okay? You cannot pull him into... What you, what you in your kind of, what you, the old you, would want him to be. It's basically someone who just helps you get the things you want. He loves to fulfill dreams. 
He placed his dreams in us by his spirit that he might fulfill them. He loves to make promises, absolutely. But he totally insists that he is enthroned in our hearts. That's a safe place for him to entrust us with dreams and fulfill them. If we insist on staying on the throne, every, every, that's the source of all the problems and the fruit is bitter fruit. He has absolute freedom. If you, if, you, if you bow down, if you bow the knee and say, Jesus Christ is Lord, you're saying, Jesus, you are Lord. I am no longer in the driving seat of my life. I'm going to trust you. You see, maybe you can be, you, you're overwhelmed with the sense of there's so many, you feel like there's so many things you've got to get through to get, to get in life to where you want to be or where you feel God's called you to be. You might think there's so many layers and levels and decisions and things outside of my control. I've got to, I've got to get through. There is one thing alone. There is one thing alone that your, your future in God, your fruitful future depends on, and that's him. That is him. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand and he will raise you up at the proper time. As simple as that, yes. I say it forcefully, yes. Because he can be overwhelmed by this sense of there's so many levels and layers and reasons and authorities and powers and this and red tape and this and that and the other and how is that ever going to happen? We say in our family, it's not how, it's who. We're not going to get into the how. We've got to, you've got to obviously work these things out. But primarily what's driving us isn't how. It's who. God opens doors that no one can shut. He shuts doors that no one can open. He promises that you will hear a voice behind you saying this is the way. Walk in it. He's committed to guiding you and leading you. He is faithful. Hallelujah. So, it, so permission is granted if he decides it, okay? It's his. And then, so that's authority, but then there's a third P, power. Now, the difference between authority and power is this. Uh, power is a juggernaut uh, driving, down, um, driving down a road at full speed. Authority is a policeman standing in front of it doing that. That's the difference, okay? So power was just like, brrr. I saw it in action once. I remember I was in a, in a hospital where one of our children had just been born. I was wandering through the hospital in a daze at midnight, as you do in those seasons. And um, I saw this huge guy. He was like one of those WWE wrestlers. Just absolute monster of a guy walking through, not, not looking too happy. Followed about a few meters behind by this not so beefy looking security guard. And I thought to myself, this is going to be interesting. <laughs> So I thought, I'm a, bit, I'm a bit of a people watcher. I thought I'll hang around for this one. Uh, <laughs> so I did, and I stood in the corridor, and I'm thinking, what is this? So the, 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 the security guard, he, 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 calls, he catches up with this guy, and he starts to take him to task. And I thought, this is fascinating. And, and, um, and actually ends up getting his details from him and doing all these things. Obviously, the guy had come looking for someone in the hospital and had caused some trouble. And, and it, this guy ends up give, giving him his details. And I thought, I'm just watching. I'm here. I'm watching authority in action. Here's someone who knows his authority. And regardless of the power situation, you know, he's standing by his authority. The Bible says that God has all authority. I've just spoken on that. He doesn't need permission from anyone. He has full jurisdiction. But he also has complete power. Which means he has the ability to actually make happen the things he said is going to happen. Nothing can get in his way. He is the juggernaut. He is the juggernaut. Circumstances he laughs at. That a circumstance could stop God. It's, the Bible says that he works all things according to the counsel of his purpose. It's, it's one very complicated tapestry. But one day we'll all look at it when it's finished and go, Oh, yeah! Isn't he wise? 
Even that thing. Oh my goodness. The sovereignty of God is an incredible, incredible thing. Um, I promised Melody that I would read one scripture from her new Bible today, so I will do that. She was very excited about this. Who wouldn't want to read this Bible? Luke 1 verse uh, 37. But there is nothing that God cannot do. How about that? There's nothing that God cannot do. It's when the angels just appeared to Mary and explained that she's going to conceive, even though she's not, never known a man, she's a virgin. There's nothing the Lord cannot do. It's wonderful, isn't it? Uh, nothing's impossible with him. He's able to fulfill what he promised. He's able to fulfill it. Um, we can be overwhelmed by just a sense of forces against us, just forces. You just think, even internally, do you know what? Even though he often operates in a gentle way, maybe the image that was used earlier is a brilliant image of the sea. You know those round pebbles, you think, how did that start off angular? You know that? How how did that start off angular? Just this gradual washing of the water over these many, many years produces this incredible effect. Although the Lord is often very gentle in his ways and very mysterious and very subtle, Actually, the power there is beyond every other force at work in you. And he'll bring about his good purpose. I just want, I want, to, I, I, I want to hammer this one home. Let me just quickly, quick, quick testimony. One minute. When I became a Christian, um, before that, I, 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 I really was unraveling, genuinely unraveling. And that's not everyone's story, but for me, that was my story. I didn't know I was, but on reflection, I really, really was. And I, uh, for the first probably couple of years of my Christian life, I felt so, I just felt so still in many ways, in many ways in my thinking and in my emotions, just under such, such huge clouds of oppressive heaviness. It's horrible, horrible, quite dominating in, in many ways. And just, it was a very confusing time. But what I realized through that time was that God had done this work in me, that though at times it didn't feel as dominating as these other things, it was deeper. It was deeper. And these things over the years, by God's grace, have, have, have gradually been and are being dispelled. Genuinely. And I say it's remarkable, Lord. I have had some real powerful moments in God where I've really known the Holy Spirit touched me in a very powerful, very forceful way. But most of the time, it's much more gradual than that. But you think, wow, this, this angular pebble's getting smoothed off. This is, this is the way the Lord works. And we must, you, I want you to know today, there is great power in Him and and I just particularly want to, want to say to I just believe that the Holy Spirit is just, as I'm talking now, just, just showing me that, particularly for someone here, there's just an immense sense of darkness, an immense, an immense, you know, I guess in a room this size, it's, it's bound to be someone, but I just feel the Lord particularly does want to minister to someone, it's an immense darkness. And I just feel the Lord really wants to use my testimony and also just the truth of his word um, to let you know that the light shines in the darkness and the darkness does not overcome it doesn't overcome it it doesn't so keep trusting jesus final thing final p is that he is uh, he's uh, paternal and uh, this is huge because you can have someone with all with plenty authority and power and still think i'm not going near that person <laughs> they're just scary they're just a scary person but the bible says extraordinary things about his heart for his children listen to this matthew 7 verse 11 says this says um if you, Jesus talking to people listening to him, she says, if you who are evil 
know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? This one is the key to us putting our lives and our resources and all that we are and all that we have in his hands. This is the one that eliminates fear, knowing his perfect love. Now, as, I'm, as early we're singing these songs about, I'm trust you, I'm going to trust you. I don't know what you're thinking. I'm thinking there's areas in my life, areas in my heart, where there's a constant to and fro in battling for, am I going to trust the Lord? Yeah? And it's just, it's like, Lord, I am with the most tender elements of my things that go on inside, with my most deepest longings, with my most biggest fears. I'm, I am, I am, I am. Why? Because I know you are a perfect father. Uh, and so, yes, I put myself in your hands entirely. I will not try and take back control of my life. No. He's a good, good father. And, and th- th- we're going to end on this scripture in Romans 8, verse 32. This is a real, this is a, this is, this is a very p- important uh, scripture to know when thinking about provision, because it sets it right. It says this. The Apostle Paul in Romans 8, he says, um, where are we? Uh, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously or freely give us all things? Paul, he argues from the greater to the lesser. He says, if God has already given his son to die on a cross for you in order that your debt of sin might be paid, in order that that way might be blasted open for you to be reconciled, if God didn't hold on to his dear son, if his dear son didn't hold on to his rights, but instead said, I will give it all up and die on a cross. If, if, if God has done that, do you not think that he will be faithful with your future? Do you not think that he cares about the details of your life? Do you not think that he's interested in your practical needs? Absolutely he is. Absolutely he is. But because he's a really good father, he is going to make sure that on that journey, you do not become preoccupied with those things. But that you learn how to seek first the things that will last, the things of the kingdom, his righteousness and his justice, that you learn that, that he weans you off of that kind of preoccupation so you can actually go for the stuff that will last forever. And in the context of that, he will give you all that you need. Amen? So I've tried to lay a foundation of the character of God, what he's like, his love, his goodness, his power, and his authority. Uh, in order that as we look in more detail at finances, maybe over the next couple of weeks, we, we'll see, we'll see you know, what feels right to how long to stay on it for. But as we do that, you, you've really got that in place, and that together we can go on this journey together and learn to trust God more and more um, with the practicalities of our life and our resources and uh, where we invest, things like that. Thank you for your presence among us, Holy Spirit. We just open our hearts to you now. Thank you for the way that you lead us. Thank you that you do not um, kind of coerce in a manipulative way. Thank you for speaking to our hearts and you liberate our minds and you, you bring us to a place of real freedom. Thank you for the way you do that. We just pray you continue to do that, Lord, as we honor you. We pray you keep speaking prophetically, Lord. We just thank you for the body of Christ. Keep speaking to us as we sing now, we pray. Amen.